0: Thank you, Jason. All right, if you would, go ahead, looking at two passages this morning. Uh, Look at, first go to 2 Corinthians 3.18, and then if you would put your finger there and go to 1 Corinthians, just a little bit to your left, and we're going to be looking at chapter 15, verses 51 through 52. We started this year talking about our theme uh, for the year being Healthy Believer, Healthy Church, that we all have a desire to see this church accomplish the purpose that the Lord has for, which is for us to glorify Him in everything we do. Um, And we talked about five ways that we do that, that we do that through evangelism, we do that through teaching, we do it through prayer, we do it through three that we kind of clump together. In generosity, um, encouragement, and hospitality, and we do it through worship. But in order for us to accomplish that, those things, in order for us to be a healthy church that produces healthy dis- disciples, then we in turn must be healthy believers. Because the church is made up of individual pieces. The church is made up of individual people, and so. If the body is to be healthy, if the church is to be healthy, then her pieces, then her parts that make her up must be healthy as well. And so last week we started, we started a mini-series kind of, to look at the foundation for being a healthy believer. Because if we do not understand salvation, and if we ourselves have never experienced salvation, then we cannot be healthy believers. Next week we're going to be starting in uh, the book of 1 John in a a sermon series looking at what a healthy believer looks like, what do they act like, Uh, what are some of the motivations that they have, and and what does all that come together. None of that matters, though. None of that is going to make an impact. None of that is, is going to be something that you can build upon if first you do not have salvation down. If first you don't understand what God has done for you and have accepted it. And so last week we took a look at two big words, justification and regeneration. This week we're going to look at two more big words in sanctification and glorification and what those mean for us as believers. Um, And so hopefully by now you have found uh, 2 Corinthians. And so if you would stand so that we can honor the reading of God's word this morning. Looking first at 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. And then if you'll flip back with me to 1 Corinthians, looking in chapter 15. Starting in verse 51, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. Let me pray with us this morning. Father, we come before you this morning again. And Lord, we are aware, aware of your presence. And we are aware of the love that you have for us. And Lord, we are aware of the wisdom that you hold that we could never fathom. And this morning, Lord, I pray that we would stand in awe of that. Lord, I pray that we would. Humble our hearts this morning to hear the word that you would have for us. That we would understand this great thing that you have done through salvation. And the different aspects of what you've accomplished through it. So that we may lay a good foundation. So that we may glorify you in all that you are and all that you've done. So that we may be a lighthouse to this community and beyond. Father, we pray this morning that you would speak. Because we are listening. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we dig too far into sanctification and glorification. And before we dig in too far to the passages that we just read, uh, I want to kind of do a review of sorts uh, for those of you that maybe weren't here last week to kind of set uh, set a, a tone or set a, a further foundation um, before we jump into these two other things. And so if you're one of those people that, like me, uh, when you listen to a sermon, you're like, what is taking him so long to get to the passage? I'm sorry, this morning is going to drive you crazy. Um, and it would have driven me crazy too, so it's okay. So, but first, we need to understand some things. First, in order to better understand salvation, to better understand sanctification and glorification, which we're looking at this morning, we need to understand our need. We need to understand our need. And last week, we looked at two of those needs. We looked at how we are under sin's penalty. Romans 6 23 for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are under a penalty. We talked last week about how if you offend a rock the penalty for offending the rock is like nothing. All right. Like if you kick a rock down the road it's not like you got to go to prison for that. All right. Um, There's some more story to that that I just thought about but we're not going there. So the penalty is nothing. However if you offend a friend or you offend your spouse, there is a penalty for that, okay? There is something that must be done to restore that relationship. And until you restore that relationship, you may be sleeping somewhere different, okay? There is a penalty. There is something to be paid. If you offend the law of the land and you steal or you kill someone, then there is a penalty to be paid for that. And in so... The, and the penalties keep increasing as the person offended becomes more important, right? In the same way, when we offend a holy, eternal God, the penalty is eternal as well. And so this is where we find ourselves before we are saved, before we accept by faith this gift that God has given us. We find ourselves under the penalty, but we also find ourselves under the sin's power. Romans 3.10 says no one is righteous. No, not one. Because of sin has entered into the world. Because sin has infiltrated our flesh. Our mind is addicted to it. For lack of a better term. It, it, our mind only thinks in one direction. And that is sin. It's unrighteousness. It's going against everything that God has for us. Our hearts Our hearts of stone, they're uncaring towards the things of God. And so we are under its power. We can't get away from it. We can't not sin. It's just part of who we are. And so we see those two things, but we also see two more things. And this is what we want to kind of further along this week. We see not only are we under sin's penalty and under sin's power, but we are also under, for the lack of not having a better P word, under its persistence. Romans 7.20 says, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This is what Paul is saying, is that now he has been justified, now he has been um, uh he has been renewed, and yes, he is no longer under the penalty of sin, and yes, he is no longer um, he is no longer under the power of sin. But yet, sin still waits at every moment to try to trip him up and keep him from the holiness, from the righteousness of God, and from following that which God would have him to do. And so, Paul says, "I, I keep tripping, I keep falling. It keeps happening." And if you're like me, you can relate to that. Our desire as believers is to follow Christ. Our desire is to do the things that he would have us to do, to love people the way he would have us to love them, to serve them the way that he would have us to serve. And yet, for some reason, I don't do those things very well all the time. I know that I shouldn't be lazy. I know that I shouldn't do this. I know that I shouldn't do that. And yet, for some reason, I still find myself on the couch watching that same TV show. We constantly are getting tripped up by this because we're still under sin, the persistence of sin. It still waits to wrap its little tentacles and trip us up. We are also, though, under the perversion of sin. Romans 8.20, and I'm actually going to read 21 as well. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. That's kind of a complicated couple of verses, but basically Paul is just saying this, that because sin entered the world, the world is broken and the world is corrupt and it's not the way that it should be. And it is groaning and waiting for the moment when that will no longer be the case, when it will be glorified once again. Think of it this way. I've said this a few other times. Every death is either indirectly or directly related and caused by sin. Whether it is the death of a plant or it is the death of a little organism, or it is the decay of things, or whether it is the death of of um, a human being, sin is the reason. It is the reason that we still deal with these bodies that fail us. It is the reason that we're still dealing with watching loved ones go through things. Sin. We are under the perversion of sin. It has corrupted our bodies it has corrupted the earth that we live in and that is where we find ourselves maybe some of you it has been a year since you came to put your faith in Jesus Christ but before that and you can remember clearly before that that You were under these things. Maybe it's been 10 years. Maybe it's been 25 years. Maybe it's been 50 years. But at one point in your life, you were in this place. That you were under the penalty, the power, the persistence, and the perversion of sin. And we still deal, for those of us that are saved, we still deal with the last two of those. Maybe this morning you've never placed your trust in Him. And you'd still deal with all four of these. And yet, God has done this great thing that He has given us a way out. You see, as we stand before Him under these conditions, under the penalty, the power, the persistence, and the perversion of sin, we ourselves can do nothing. And so Christ had to do it for us. And so the basis of our salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ looked At our situation. He looked at at those four things happening in our life. And he gave up all of heaven. Can you imagine that? He gave up all of heaven. So that he could put on a decaying uh, foul body. So that he could live in poverty among us. Living a perfect life. Knowing that one day his perfect life would pay the penalty for us. And it is upon that sacrifice that everything is based. We put all of our eggs in that basket. It is not our words. It is not our prayers. It is not our good works. It is not even our general faith in a God that saves us. It is the blood of Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross alone. That is what saves us. And this is what's great. These are where these four words come in. Because now, once God saves us, it is an act of God that all of these other things come in. Through our salvation, God does some amazing things. We said that we're under the penalty of sin, but through salvation, God pardons us. And these are not all peace, so don't get worried. God pardons us. That's justification. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No longer do we stand before a holy God with sin in our midst and sin on our record, fearing His wrath. But rather, now we can stand before a holy God in innocence Not fearing judgment, not fearing His wrath, but rather knowing that we can approach Him as a Father. Knowing that we can approach Him as one who loves us, who desires what's best for us. We have been made right in His presence. We have been justified. No longer do we fear that penalty. No longer are we under that oppression from sin. But he does something else. And we talked about this last week too. Number two, he frees us. Number one, he pardons us. That's justification. Number two, he frees us. That's regeneration. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You understand when we become saved, when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes our minds new. He makes our hearts new which causes us to have new motivations and new desires that we go out. No longer do we have to sin. Now we are free to follow. We are free to run after him. We are free to live life the way that God intended it. We were slaves to sin, not being able to help ourselves, not being able to make our own decisions per se. But God has made us new now, and He has transformed us. So He pardons us, He frees us, He also changes us. And this is sanctification. This is what we talked about in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. This is sanctification. That transformation process that happens, and we're going to talk more about that here in just a second. And then, lastly, we said we were under the—sorry, um, I just lost the word. This is what happens when you have too many p-words. We're under the perversion. We're under the perversion, the corruption. But as we read about in First Corinthians, that will not always be the case. And this is glorification. He restores us, and so we will experience glorification as 1 Corinthians fifteen. 51 says there that we will be transformed, we will be given new bodies. That is what we look forward to. So this morning, I want to just take, last week we took the first two and we looked at justification and we looked at regeneration. This week I want to turn our attention to sanctification and glorification. And certainly this morning we are not going to be able to go into the depths of what these things mean, the depths of what has been accomplished in our lives, but we just want to We want to look here just quickly, at what God has done. So first, salvation, sanctification. What does that mean? What does that look like? First, it starts with justification. It starts with justification. If you go back there and look in 2 Corinthians with me, go back to verse 18 there. It says, And with we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay? It starts with us, We have this unveiled face beholding the glory of God. How how is it that we have an unveiled face? What are they talking about there? Well, if you read the passage before that, it ties in with a story in Exodus where Moses was able to go up. He was able to go up and to encounter the Lord face to face with nothing between them. And, But when he came back down, he would shield his face. He would wear a veil so as not to disturb the people. And there's varying uh, disagreement on why that was done, whether it was so that people didn't see the glory of the Lord fade from his face or whether it didn't just plain freak them out um, and scare them. Whatever the reason, he wore this veil so that they couldn't see the glory that was shining upon his face. Not only that, but if you study your Old Testament very long, you know that between the holy of holies and the holy place there was a veil, there was this curtain that stood between so that man could not just simply walk into the presence of God. And yet, yet we see here that Paul says we have unveiled faces. Turn over with me to Hebrews 10 19, or I'll I'll read it to you if you don't want to turn there, but Hebrews 10:19 says this. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So what is happening here? We have beforehand, we are under the penalty of sin, and we are under the power of sin. And therefore, we are not at peace with God. We are not able to view him we are not able to come to him but what the writer of hebrews describes and what paul is conveying is now because we have been saved because of the blood of jesus christ the veil has been torn the curtain has been torn the veil has been taken away and now we walk with confidence into the very presence of god we can behold him now in a way that we could not behold him before that's <laughs> Do you understand what has been done there? Before, you could not worship Him. If you are not a believer, you can say His name, you can sing the same songs, but you cannot truly worship Him because you have no right to go into His presence. He does that for you through faith. Do you understand that Our prayers are heard in the holy place because we can enter into it by the Spirit. Because we have been justified, because we have been renewed. This is a huge, huge deal. We have been given great access now. And because we're unveiled, then we can look on Him. So this process starts with justification But it is also a process of the Spirit. If you read towards the end, it kind of tells you in verse 18 there, it says, um, sorry, I lost my place for a second. It says there that they are being transformed in the same image from one degree, degree of another, but it tells you by how this happens. This comes from the Lord who is Spirit. Okay, so this transformation process happens because of, Him who is in us. This is the part about being renewed. Okay, that now we have a new mind. Now we have a new heart. Now we have motivation. But you may be standing there and going, okay, wait a minute. Or sitting there. None of you are standing. But you may be sitting there and you may think, wait a minute. How are we beholding him though? I understand that now we can enter into his presence. I understand now that we have access to God because God he has justified us and because he has cleansed us and renewed us. okay, I'm tracking with you there but I don't understand I don't understand how we behold him because that, that thing says that, that that word gives an idea of being able to see something. If you look in John 14:8 through 11, the disciples had a very similar problem. Jesus is talking about them following him and about them coming after him and Philip says there in verse 8 of John chapter 14 Lord show us the father and it is enough for us And then Jesus responds Jesus said to him I have been with you have I been with you so long and you still still do not know me Philip Whoever has seen me has seen the father How can you say show us the father do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or who else or else believe on the account of the works. So this is what Jesus is saying. You want to behold the Father? You want to behold God? You want to be in His presence and see Him? Then look at me. Look at Jesus Christ and who He is and what He says and what He does and you will see God. You will behold Him. How do we do that? We do that by looking at His Word. Christ revealed Himself to us and it was recorded in this book so that we may see Him. Let me, let me show you something. It's kind of like this. You, you begin to look at this thing as a believer. You've already been justified. You've already been regenerated. God has done this amazing thing in your life, but now you're still under the perseverance of sin. You're still getting tripped up, and you begin to look at this, and you begin specifically look at Christ and who he is, and you begin to hold it up, and you go, you know what? Like, I see Jesus. Like, Jesus is generous. Like with his time and with his with, with what he's given, like he, he's generous. But when I look, when I look at myself, I don't see that. I don't, I don't see generosity. And so you begin to go, okay, that needs to change. And so you begin to pray and the spirit does this work in us where he begins to add that to us. Sometimes it's messy looking. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard, but he begins to do that inside of us. And so we begin to transform into the image that we are beholding. But the same is true for things that maybe shouldn't be there. We begin to look at this and we think, man, I have this thing in my life. I have this thing that's going on that I'm doing, the sin, but I don't see that in the life of Jesus. That doesn't need to be there. If it's not there for him, then it shouldn't be there for me. And we begin to pray. Spirit, remove this from me. And what happens over the course of time is that we begin, as we behold the image of God, because of these unveiled faces, that the Spirit changes us so that we look more like Him. Here's the thing, though. This is a never-ending process. It will be completed later. It won't be completed here. As long as we are here, we are with these bodies and we are surrounded by sin and temptation. And no matter how much we strive after him, we will find that sin is always right there, that there are always parts of us that can never reach it. And for some of you, you may say, oh, well, then why try? Why try? If I'm never going to be fully sanctified, if I'm always going to have sin in my life, if I'm always going to fail, then why try? It's kind of like I hear about Melissa's kids. She doesn't use names, the innocent are protected. But the kids come home, okay? the kids. She comes home and she tells me about kids that just don't try. It's like, well, if I'm going to fail anyway, then why try on that test? And certainly, why give time? So I'm going to finish this math test in two minutes. Boom, life's easy, right? No, that's not the heart of a believer. And this is, the, this is the best picture I can give you. This is what I thought about when I thought about this. You think about an astronaut. And and these guys go up into space, right? And they come back. And you hear interviews with them. And what do they always talk about? I want to go back. I want to go back. And I think, are you nuts? Like going back to space is difficult. A, you're not guaranteed they're going to pick you. B, it means that you're going to have to be physically separated from your loved ones for a while. You may get to communicate, but you're not going to get to be able to touch them because if you get sick, you're off the mission. So you have to be separated from them. Not only that, but you've got to go through crazy physical and mental training in order to be that. And then if you succeed at that difficulty, they put you in an ugly white suit, stuff you in a little bitty compartment, and light a bomb underneath you. And if anything goes wrong, and I mean like pinhole wrong, you die. But I want to go back. That's what they say. Because they have tasted something. They have tasted something that is grander than anything else they could get here. They have seen earth from a big picture standpoint and seen its beauty and all that it is and they're like, wow. And then they turn around to the other side of the compartment and they look up and they see stars in a way that we could never imagine it. No light pollution from the cities. No nothing. They can see everything the way that God intended it to be in all of its beauty. And they go, I want to see that again. I want that feeling again. I want I taste that again. How much more than brother and sister, if you have tasted grace, if you have tasted his presence in your life, even just once, should you want it again and again and again and again, no matter what it takes, no matter the difficulty, no matter the challenge, no matter if it's never going to be perfect this side of heaven? We should strain after grace, run the race well. That is what we should desire. That was what we should long for. That every day we want to taste His grace. Every day we want to experience the joy of our salvation. Because it is grander than anything else in the world. And that leads us to glorification. We said that it can't be completed sanctification that that purification process can't be can't be completed here but someday it will be completed and that is the process of glorification it is the completion of this salvation process it starts with justification remember it starts with that moment that we put our trust in the blood of Jesus Christ And then God regenerates us by putting the Spirit in us, and we become a new person. And then He begins to sanctify us as He begins to change us and transform us to look more like Christ until the point of completion. 1 Corinthians, back to that verse. 1 Corinthians 51 Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Going on to 53, for this imperishable body must be put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Sorry, must put on immortality. One day, one day creation will be as it should be. There will be a new earth. There will be a new heaven. And we will have new bodies. That will not perish. That will not fail us. And in that moment. We will be truly. In the image of God. That's mind blowing. We won't be God. We won't have everything that he has. But we will be truly in his image. The way he intended us to be. From the beginning. That is what we look forward to. That is what we desire. That is what we hope for. That is what we're reminded of this morning. Yes, we grieve this morning. Yes, we hurt this morning with those who hurt. But we also celebrate because two sisters are experiencing this this morning. They are experiencing the completion and fulfillment of their salvation. And that is a grand and glorious thing to think about. But that leads, and that leads us to this last slide. We told, talked about the theme. We talked about the theme of the year was, the theme of the year was that we want to be healthy believers, that we want to be a healthy church. But in order to do that, sometimes you have to take a look at yourself. 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians thirteen five says this. It says, "Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test." Sometimes, when we, if we're if we desire to be healthy as individual believers, if we desire to be healthy as a church, then we must test ourselves. We must examine ourselves. So this test has four questions. I know you didn't plan on coming to take a test, but congratulations, this is pop quiz time. Question number one. Have you trusted Christ? Pretty simple. Have you trusted Christ? Has there been a time where you have said, I put all my eggs in this basket? All of my hope for salvation, all of my hope for everything in this world, I put on Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and resurrection. If that has never happened, then the next three of these questions really don't relate to you because you have never been made right with Christ. And I would urge you this morning, I would urge you this morning to make that decision, to have a conversation with Him this morning. Letting him know that you understand that you are still under the penalty and power of sin, that you have put yourself there, but that you desire salvation this morning. You desire him. Have you trusted Christ? Second, are you new? When you look at your life, can you say, yeah, I have a different way of thinking about things. I have a different outlook. I have a different worldview than other people around me. And I'm not perfect in that. and I I certainly maybe do not show in fulfillment all of the fruits all of the time. But I see God has done something in me. I, I see that he convicts me about sin. I see that he leads me. Are you new? Number three, are you changing? Are you changing this? Are you looking more like Christ all the time? Or are you the same that you've ever been? We talked about we should desire to want to run after him, to experience grace upon grace. We should want those things in our life. But sadly, for too many of us, and not just here in this room, but across this country and across this world, for too many of us, we get salvation and we think, oh, shoo don't have to worry about that anymore. And when we look at our life, when we look back, we say, you know what, I am the same believer that I was 50 years ago. I'm the same believer that I was 25 years ago. I'm the same believer that I was 15 years ago, five years ago, one year ago, because God has not done anything in my life. We're like, why hasn't he done anything? And my question to you is, what are you beholding? Are you looking at him and allowing that change to happen in your life? Or are you looking at other things and staying the same? We look at the life of Abraham and Moses and so many of the other great saints and we think, man, I wish I could be a part of that. I wish I could be, walk on the water. I wish I could uh, cross the Red Sea. I wish I could have this great promise of God fulfilled in my life. But do we forget that there are 40, 50, sometimes even longer years between each of those promises, between each of those things, and those men were faithful day to day to behold God and allow Him to increase their faith and the grace you want something great to happen in your life, you want to look more like Christ and have that power, then behold Him. Allow Him to change you. And then lastly, do you want glory? Do you want His glory? Do you anticipate it? When when Melissa and I decided that we wanted to get married, I can remember that day that we were sitting in the Indian Ocean off the west coast of Madagascar, And I was terrified because I knew in my heart that I wanted to marry this girl, but I didn't know if she was in the same place. And because of that, you know, with the IMB and their dating policies and all that, you're like, what are we going to do? And so I can remember asking her like, hey, here's the thing. I really like you uh, and I would like to kind of marry you and see where that's going to happen. And what do you think about that? Remember, this beautiful place, please say yes. Okay? Okay. And it it was a very informal kind of way of of doing that. But she says, yes, I want that too. And so from that moment on, everything we did anticipated a moment. From the difficult conversations with the IMB about, hey, we're going to go home so that we can get married. To trying to figure out how to surprise a girl with an engagement that she already knows is coming. Like, how do you ask a girl to marry you when you, uh, it's confusing. Like, there is no surprise there, all right? trying to figure that out and telling parents and talking to them and then doing all this planning, like everything in our life. And people looked at our lives and they're like, you're getting married, aren't you? Like they didn't even have to like really think about it. They saw the smile in our, our giddy faces and they saw the planning that we did and they knew that we were anticipating a moment until that moment arrived. And I stood there on a stage in South Carolina with all of my best friends behind me, with my family and her family in the audience. And I walked I, saw, I watched as the most beautiful thing in, I've ever seen walk down that aisle and then some reason agreed to marry me. Like I, I still don't know why how we talked her into that. Like drugs were a wonderful thing. But like we anticipated that moment till it arrived. And we celebrated it. My question for you this morning is you have a greater promise than that above before you. You have the promise of heaven, of glorification with Him in that moment that you will meet your Creator, the, the person that loves you more than anything else. But does your life speak of that anticipation? Do you look forward to that? And does everything in your life speak to it? Or do people not even know that you're waiting on it. I want people to look at my life and go. Why are you so happy? Why are you smiling? Why why do you not seem to worry about this? Because I am anticipating something far grander. I am anticipating something much more to come. And I can always be joyful about that. It doesn't mean I'm always happy. We grieve. We mourn. We experience that today. But I can always be joyful. I can always look ahead. Because there is something much grander right there. Do you want that glory? Are you anticipating it? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response. My prayer this morning is that you would answer these four questions. And answer them truthfully. Allow the Spirit to speak to you this morning and tell you where you're at with Him. Examine yourselves, it says in 2 Corinthians. This isn't merely a passing glance. This is a deep and longing look into your soul to say, where am I at with God? Maybe this morning, you just need to ask Him to remind you of what's to come so that you can Pursue that and anticipate that. Maybe this morning you need to say, I've been beholding other things when I should have been beholding Him. I want to be different. I want to taste grace. I want to taste the joy of my salvation. Lord, help me. Maybe this morning you just need to say, Lord, make me new again. Maybe this morning you need to have a conversation and say, Lord, I am under all four of those things. I am under sin's penalty, its power it's persistence and it's perversion and I need you because I can't do anything about it. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've screwed up. Please forgive me. But I am trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made to save me. Maybe that's the conversation that you need to have with the Lord this morning. I pray that you'll have it and then that you'll tell someone whether that means coming up and telling me this morning or whether it means pulling me off to the side later or talking to one of, our, our people, tell someone that you have had that conversation. We will be overjoyed to talk to you about it and to talk to you about what's next. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, we come to you and we, when we talk about salvation, Lord, I, I don't know how we can't get excited, Lord. I, I don't know how people talk about it and just sit there because You have done these incredible things in our lives, Lord, and they're these huge words that maybe confuse us. Justification and, and, and regeneration and glorification and sanctification. All these huge words, but Lord, they are so rich with meaning and you have done so much for us. Lord, remind us of that this morning. Remind us of the power of that. Remind us of the joy of that so that we may be a light to others, and so that we may experience this life the way that you want us to, that we may experience it with abundance, that we may experience it with our minds just blown about what you're doing. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would use this time to help us to examine ourselves, that we may be right with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.